0: With spring right around the corner, maybe you like me, you're excited to get out for longer walks and runs, pick up a new book to read outside, or just get out and explore new neighborhoods and food. Or we could do all three wrapped in one. Our friends over at Read and Run Chicago are expanding to nearby Lamont for three different meetups. The group is like a combination running club, book club, and neighborhood tour, and each route in Lamont is about three miles paired with a different book from Pat Camalier's Corotazi historical mystery series. Afterwards, you'll get to sit down with the author and historian and sample some food from local restaurants, The first run is Saturday, March 23rd. Spots are limited and are going to go fast. So register now at ReadAndRunChicago.com or find the link on their Instagram at ReadAndRunChicago. Today on City Cash Chicago, it was a big year in Chicago news, from housing to arrivals to electing a new mayor to some very extreme weather events. Executive producer Samal Alisea is here to recap what happened and what we expect in 2024. It's Monday, December 18th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is What Chicago's Talking About. I think the only place we can even start a conversation about the biggest stories, the biggest news in Chicago, is with the arrival of more than 25,000 migrants and asylum seekers to the city, Over the last year and a half, I mean, obviously, this started back in 2022, but pressure really picked up this year as buses and planes kept coming and as the city continues to struggle to house new arrivals. I mean, it feels like the situation is changing constantly with new shelters coming up or the plans being scrapped. Simone, what is the latest on that front?
1: Yeah. So last week, Mayor Brandon Johnson said in a press conference that uh, migrants had been relocated um, from all but one police station. And that news came after the administration had opted to scrap the whole winterized base camp plan that we have been talking about for uh, Mm -hmm. a couple months now. That's following the controversy at Brighton Park that the state, you know, nixed that plan due to environmental concerns. Uh, And then the city came out and said that they would also not build the camp, the planned camp in uh, Morgan Park on the far south side. Although it's worth noting that the city does still own that property. So it's like, you know, it's possible they might revisit it, but that this whole winterized base camp concept, that is not happening all this at a time where there are continue to be increased calls for transparency. You know, mm-hmm. there are questions about how much the city is paying uh, private developers uh, across the city. Block Club Chicago had some investigative reporting last week, getting at a little bit of how much the city is paying in, in rent to some like private office building um, owners, mm-hmm. but there's still a lot we don't know. Also questions about how much it costs the city to scrap these plans for the winterized base camps.
0: There are so many different moving parts to this story. It
1: it really is. It's It's a lot to keep track of. And, you know, even I suspect this week over the holidays into January, we will hear more and more just about how the plans are shifting to house and to shelter, um, which again are two different things. I always want to emphasize Mm -hmm. sheltering, housing, two different things. Um, All of the the people who have arrived here, uh, the people who continue to come um, and you know just yeah lots of lots of moving parts here
0: yeah I think moving into 2024 in addition to transparency, feeling like we have a little bit more leeway and runway to to understand when plans may or may not be coming to our neighborhood. The one thing I'd like to see a little bit more is a little bit more dimension. Obviously, with amongst the 25,000, the majority are Venezuelan migrants, but there are so many different people. So when we talk about work permits, I feel like we have to pause and be like, well, those haven't been available for everyone. When we talk about um, sort of building community, what does it look like to you know, when people say things like, you know, let's put them in neighborhoods where they're largely Spanish speaking population. Remember, well, th- that's not everyone who's coming. So I'd love to see just a little bit more dimension that it's it's really easy for us to see these big numbers and just sort of lump everyone together. But this is still a very diverse population from people who are single, people who have young kids, people who have teenagers, uh, you know, people who's who, who have families still on their way. And so that, that's one of the things I would like from 2024, because it feels like at this point, you know, 16 17 months in, it's just sort of, you know, migrants, asylum seekers sort of in capital letters, but there's still so much nuance under that.
1: I agree. And I think part of that is just the scope is so big, Uh right? We have so many people who are coming here and just the, as I, you know, I I just listed off a few different, just a couple different shelters that we've been talking about recently. But the fact of the matter is, is like there is a lot that is happening on the ground and behind the scenes. I will say a big shout out to our colleagues at uh, various publications around the city though, who have gone out and talked to folks on the ground. Um, uh, One story from uh, WBEZ that came out recently talking about mental health and what kind of mental, A, talking about what kinds of mental health services are available to people who have come, who um, so often have had just these these treacherous, harrowing journeys mm-hmm. to get here, right? Just to get to the border. And right. then to then on top of that, you know, uh, take a bus to Chicago. Um, and it it just uh, a really, I think, powerful story. story. And again, another thing I would love to see more of in 2024 is, okay, we're starting to get people out of police stations. Now what? Now what are now what are what? the next what are the next things that 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 people need to be getting? And mental health is going to be uh, such a huge one.
0: Yeah, I mean, our colleagues who have done the difficult work of you know talking to people about their story, really honing in on the humanity of these people, folk. A lot of people have traveled two thousand miles just to get here and to be turned away at, at, at the Texas border or to be quickly sort of moved onto a bus, onto a plane, and then gone to another place that they have never been to in their life. And so, you know, we had colleagues who wrote about uh, young people who have entered schools, them picking up extracurriculars, whether it's high school rock band, whether it's the soccer team at their school. We saw, you know, the, the story of people who came looking for one thing, weren't able to find it and had to go back to Texas or chose to go back to, to Venezuela uh, one story that came uh, from the Crusader out of my neighborhood was there was a, a High Park resident who put up like a pop-up house party for 200 Haitian migrants uh, and it was to to provide resources uh, to to provide some community and a few of these exposés have have really gone past the numbers and quantifying to really look at the, the humanity of individuals who more times than not you read these stories They are looking for more security, better employment, better opportunities for their kids. Very universal concepts that a lot of us can relate to.
1: And that's a great story to bring up, too, from the Crusader as well, because I think another thing that can be hard to remember when we see all this coverage about the politics of the issue is there are a lot of Chicagoans out there who are helping, right? Who are trying to welcome folks in. I mean, we've had people in our inbox, you know, at CityCast Chicago say, I would love to open my home up. You know, who can I contact? How can I help? What organizations can I get in contact with? And I think that is another thing that can is sometimes easy to miss in the coverage Um, when you're just looking at the headlines over which shelter is going up, where the protests that are happening in which neighborhoods, that there are a lot of people here who are trying to step up and who are trying to help. And uh, especially as you know, we get into the coldest part of the year, um, really just, just sort of acting with urgency, um, and with, with humanity and empathy as well.
0: City of Chicago Department of Business Affairs and Consumer Protection offers a free entrepreneur certificate program for future and current business owners in Chicago. Participants must complete six webinars within six months in designated webinar categories. Graduates are eligible to apply for the CIBC Bank USA Entrepreneur Loan Program, a bank partner with BACP. The long-standing program was created to support startup or early stage small businesses, gain entrepreneur training with important working capital. Since the program launched, more than 1,000 Chicago entrepreneurs and business owners have successfully completed the program. Completing the process is as easy as one, two, three. Number one, register by signing up at chicago.gov slash BACP certificate Number two, attend six webinars by registering for upcoming webinars at chicago.gov slash BACP webinars. And number three, graduate from the program and you'll receive your digital certificate and information on connecting with CIBC Bank USA. To learn more about the BACP Entrepreneur Certificate Program, please visit chicago.gov slash BACP certificate. I feel like for the last few months, we have said the words Johnson administration so many times (laughs) that we forgot we started this year off with a mayoral election, which only got more interesting back then after former Mayor Lori Lightfoot lost in February, putting former CPS CEO Paul Vallis against former Cook County Commissioner Brandon Johnson in the runoff. Obviously, like I said, Johnson won, take office in May. And given the promises he made on the campaign trail, all eyes have been on his administration since then. Simone what do we think were going to be the big issues facing Johnson and how has that actually played out in the last six months?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I went back and listened to the episode we did on April 5th, which was the day after election night. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, by the way, our most downloaded episode of the year. So it's <laughs> the, also the episode that that listeners really wanted to hear. Um, and That day, we talked about basically three big issues. We talked about education, we talked about uh, public safety, and we talked about sort of the budget and funding some of the big progressive goals that Johnson had. And it's so interesting, I think, to kind of see what has kind of come through since Mm -hmm. then and kind of what hasn't as much. I think on, you know, on the public safety front, I think there has been a lot of sort of incremental Um, progress on some of the things Johnson wanted to do. Right. He was really, really big uh, right out the gate, really wanted to get youth jobs. Right. Uh, With the city and did increase the number of jobs available through the city's program to do that. I think one of the biggest accomplishments of the Johnson administration, although we will sort of see if it remains to be, is the fact that Uh, you know, he spearheaded it and got the city council to approve a ballot referendum, the Bring Chicago Home uh, referendum which would be a tax on real estate sales over a million dollars uh to fund um services to uh for for people experiencing homelessness um and and to and to build housing this was a big promise of his it's now going to be on uh the March ballot the March 2024 ballot you know whether it passes I think you know if if Chicago voters reject it we'll be th- You know, this will be a very different story in March, but the fact that he got it on the ballot after it had, you know, kind of languished uh, under the under the previous administration, um, I still think is a a, a big deal. And, you know, he proposed a budget with no property tax increases. That was Mm -hmm. a big promise. He kept that promise. That said, I do think there have been some fumbles.
0: Yeah, I was I was gonna say, I was like we was gonna do sort of good, bad on it. I was like, from a public safety perspective, there there are still points of, of criticism for a lot of people, even with the budget, though a lot of the uh increase in police budget will go towards hiring Uh, sort of civilian positions, people are still critical that a $2 billion police budget doesn't seem in line with uh, Brandon Johnson, who talked a little bit more about moving resources towards alternative programs. Uh, You saw some criticism around how much, how sort of full-throated he was against ShotSpotter as he was campaigning. And then once he got into office, you know, not only did he sort of pull back and say, you know, we'll consider the contract next year with ShotSpotter, the the controversial gunshot detection technology. But then he also, you know, really supported Chief Larry Snelling, the biggest sort of hire in the public safety division of his early administration, someone who also, you know, is pretty optimistic about technology's role in the Chicago Police Department. And so there was definitely this back and forth where I don't think uh he sort of moved too far in either direction that that w- that would really piss people off. But it but it definitely feel uh, like there was a, a little bit of give and take here.
1: And I would go further to say that there were some sort of, again, explicit. I, I don't know what else to call them except fumbles. Like I think about uh, the shot spotter contract and how, right, there was some reporting early on that was like, ah, the city has made a payment. And sort of what was it that. The Johnson administration came out and says like, oh, well, this is like a payment that had been scheduled by the previous administration. Okay, May, June, maybe maybe we say, all right, you're you're just getting into the office. Okay, but then you have, uh, you know, I think about just this very recent vote over the police contract. Right. And this clause about arbitration that says that 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 would have given officers the option to, you know, hear some of the most uh, serious discipline cases behind closed doors you know Johnson came out with this press release when when you know sort of saying like we've reached a deal on this contract and then various people kind of came out and said like hey what's this arbitration thing that's going on is that really mm-hmm. what Johnson wanted is that really what's right it was sort of felt like and then it like, seemed like a,
0: oh, oh 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 we we maybe we didn't catch that L- like reject that part of the contract but push everything else through
1: Exactly. Asking city council to then reject a piece of it, but then but accept the contract as a whole. And and then it, it sort of prompts this question of either truly you didn't realize what was happening or are you doing some kind of maneuvering here so you do get to sort of, you know, play to both sides of your base, right? You understand what I mean? Like And it
0: doesn't this, look good either way.
1: And it just, it just feels it doesn't feel transparent. It doesn't feel smooth. It just feels mm-hmm. like a a misstep um in the administration. And then I think again, this this whole hubbub with the uh the camps um and sort of the back and forth between the state and the city over Brighton Park and when this environmental review came out, you know, it it just you know, I think it was Alderwoman Jeanette Taylor who recently, you know, came out and said that the um, progressive wing of, of the city, of City Hall, sort of uh, that there's a little bit of political amateurism happening, uh, you know, that it, it, it's starting to kind of fire back on them now being in government as opposed to organizing campaigning and trying to sort of navigate that that differently Um, and I think we're seeing a little bit of that with Johnson's administration
0: for sure and I will say to give credit when we think about education Johnson has flexed his muscle there a little bit like one of his early decisions was to get rid of the majority of the Board of Education and bring in members who seem to be focused more on strengthening neighborhood schools, reinvesting, making sure students get more wraparound services, have more resources. And now you see just last week, members of the Board of Education saying that they would like to sort of build a five year plan that pivots back towards neighborhood schools that focuses less on school choice, that focuses a little bit less on school testing. You saw uh, under Johnson them sort of reevaluate how they're going to measure schools moving forward. And so as a former teacher, as a former, um, you know, lobbyist with CTU, obviously education was one of Johnson's bona fides and he ran on a plan platform of bringing more investment and resources to neighborhood schools. And, and I will say it that doesn't feel like something that he is backed off against. And it seems that between youth employment, between the the rhetoric coming out of the Board of Education and even uh, the, the current CEO of CPS, it, it, it does sound like as we move towards an elected school board that, that that's going to be what's driving the 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 board moving forward is is neighborhood schools and so we don't know what that looks like policy wise but it, it's good to see that that's carrying through post uh, campaigning. One other huge story that. I think in some cases caught many Chicagoans off guard was, you know, although we've been having a pretty mild, some would even say warm December, Chicago saw some unusually extreme weather this year between the torrential flooding we, we, we saw with, with the amount of rain that we got. Uh, and at one point we had the worst air quality in the world. I looked at a Times article late last week that talked about one of the, uh, the, the things Chicagoans searched the most. And air quality near me Hmm. was the most near me search thing in Chicago. Simone, why do you think this is, you know, one of the the biggest stories of the year?
1: Yeah, it's interesting because this is one of those things that like would be really easy to forget about now that it's a different season, you know. But I think it's worth bringing up for a few different reasons. Number one, I think it is just one of the biggest reminders and most sort of tangible things for people to kind of see and feel when it comes when we start talking about climate change and environmental issues as a whole right i think particularly that air quality you know those days in june where again it was either the worst in the world or among the worst in the world you know due to wildfire smoke that was blowing from canada but it also you know brought to the surface the fact that we already have air quality issues already
0: got terrible in Chicago
1: <laughs> and in some neighborhoods more than others, right? Due to, uh, you know, our some of the industry that we have in the city. Um, and, y- you know, I-, I think it was one of those things that it's just like everyone is seeing it. Everyone's seeing the haze. Everyone's seeing these sort of orangey skies. Everyone feels it. If you're outside for any period of time, I, I think it's just one of those things that it just sort of stops you in your tracks. And You're like, oh, like this is something I have to think about now. And how am I going to deal with this, you know, year after year after year? And the same thing with the flooding, like flooding is always an issue in Chicago. It's just kind of like the way that we're built, particularly, again, in some neighborhoods more than others. But the rain we saw this summer and even going into the fall, I think, you know, just the sheer amount of flooded basements. I mean, there was reporting in July that showed that it was a record amount of, of reported uh, flooded basements in Chicago, and and you know FEMA. I'm still getting emails from FEMA about how much how much money they're 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 still giving out uh, in relief, particularly in the suburbs.
0: Yeah, I think straight like your point was so perfect I think air quality and flooding in particular are things that Chicagoans just kind of know aren't great throughout the year like your basement gonna get flooded at some point we knew it as kids and we just sort of I've started to accept it coming into adulthood even as my mother continues to deal with basement flooding and and had to pay thousands of dollars this year to address it I really want to go back to the air quality story because that one throughout the year uh throughout the year's It ends up sparking like very large conversations about around like the history of manufacturing, the history of labor in in different neighborhoods. It it hits on uh, neighborhoods being treated like toxic dumps. It talks about like and I feel like there's so much. The, in that conversation that we often stop talking about air quality and we start talking about, well, where will manufacturing go? And well, how can the city build a you know, better Department of Environments better accountability measures? And, and those conversations, they move so slowly. Right. Because because they're so complicated. And then you have this where it's like yeah, this isn't about manufacturing. This isn't about the the where they are in the city. This isn't about which neighborhood is overexposed. No, this is this is existential and even more, I feel, um alarming? Uh, yeah, it's existential and even more alarming because it's it's only picking up. It's like, look, look outside the window, right? We need to start thinking creatively about how do we build longer term solutions? How do we build policies to help protect all Chicagoans in a way that isn't just relocating a plant or or sort of putting uh, more air sensors up? This is really about, well, long term, how do we make Chicago a place that, that people can live in as other places become less livable?
1: And another big story from this year that I'll kind of bring into this and piggyback on top of it is um, CTA service, public transportation, right? Mm-hmm. A big thing that would help our air quality would be um, you know, fewer drivers on the road, fewer cars on the road. And what is the easiest way to put fewer cars on the road? Have options for public transit. Yeah. And when public transit is not running very well, and not as many people are taking it, you might have more cars on the road uh and so all these things are connected right like chicago is on some level used to extreme level weather we're used to floods we're used to extreme cold we're used to extreme heat even on some level you know mm-hmm. we have we have laws in place that kind of talk about this and sort of set standards um, but particularly around air quality i think that was a big uh sort of surprise to a lot of people including people in power and i will be curious to see if going into next summer if maybe they're a little bit better prepared.
0: We've talked about a lot of big stories that happened in Chicago this year, but we wouldn't be City Cash Chicago if we didn't leave you with some good news or at least some fun to listen to. Simone, what was one of your favorite episodes we did this year that just, just fills you with joy when you think about it?
1: Gosh, there are so Many good ones, Jacoby. I know. There we really, so many really fun are. Ass conversations. We really, really, did. I was looking back, and I was like, "How am I going to choose just one?" Okay, which <laughs> means I'm not. I'm going to list off a bunch, and then get to get to my very favorite one. Like, definitely people should definitely people should go back and listen to our conversation about Uncle Remus, uh, which we did uh, just uh, a month ago or so. Uh, also, our Hibaritos uh, conversation. Just two food episodes that are like so fun and deserve a listen. Like, you will feel better about life after you listen to them. Shout out uh, to
0: Xavier, who uh, we went to Uncle Remus with. Shout out to Pinky, who we ate a bunch of he with.
1: Yeah, super fun. Uh, I also recommend uh, the interview we did with Chicago's poet laureate. I will. I've said this once, and I will say it again. I just think we all need a little more poetry in our lives. Um, if you disagree with me, I I can't help you. Like, I <laughs> I I need you to want to have poetry in your life. This is a good thing. I promise.
0: Chicago's very first poet laureate, Every R. Young, got to sit down with him. Gee. We in the conversation when we left the conversation, editing the conversation. One of the most fun people I've had the pleasure to talk with on this podcast this year and every year we've been doing it.
1: I'm pretty sure that conversation got me through that entire month. But, <laughs> but the episode, the I, there are many, many more. The episode, the episode that I'm going to put people on to that I think is is a good one um, was I got to learn how to roller skate like a real Chicagoan from none other. Then Mama T, your mother at MLK Skate uh, on the South Side. And that was so much fun. Uh, just a joy uh, to hear you and your mom talk. It's always a joy to to talk to you and your mom together, but uh, a a real treat to hear you guys talk about something that's so near and dear to your heart. And um, I think one of the most fun things, one of the most fun tapings, I have never um, been up on skates with a microphone trying to (laughs) tape things. And so that was a new and fun experience for me. Um, And there's a very silly video of it on Instagram that people can check out. And uh, yeah, just, I think, a very very Chicago story um, that uh, I think will will make people smile. So that's going to be my yeah. pick, my one and o- my one and only pick. You can forget everything else I said, I guess.
0: I don't know if we captured it in the episode, but I really want people to know how much that episode meant to me. Not only because I grew up in roller rinks with my mom, then spent all of my high school years working in a roller rink with my mom and the rest of my family, but since Rich City Skate closed. I almost never see my mother in a skating rink. That place in a lot of ways sort of kind of stripped her of the love that she had for this, this art form, this hobby, this sort of first love for her, and getting to look at her and watch her talk about roller skating, to get to watch her roller skate, get to be nostalgic about her upbringing and raising us, was so very special for me and for her to just tap into it for us and for listeners. Uh, it meant a lot. And she's been back roller skating a little bit more since we did that episode. And so I, I like to think that it kind of re-sparked a little something in her. Um, and so that that episode truly was, was very special to me. And so thank you for indulging me, Simone, and going out there and getting on some skates yourself.
1: Of course. So what was your favorite episode of the year?
0: Oh, like you said, we had a long year with a lot of fantastic episodes, a lot of guests. But when I think about the episode that made me go home and just, like, so appreciative that I get to do this job was following around Benny the Bull through the basement of the United Center. hmm
1: hmm
0: it, And it's not just how, like, grand it was, the fact that we got to be at a Bulls game and see all of the it's... It was like standing out there on the floor and looking up at the 300 seats where I went for the very first time when my parents took us when we were little kids and, and just thinking about the sort of majesty of the game and how spectacular all the dancers are and how many different MCs there are. And the fact that there's a game there, but there it feels like a concert and, and an entire circus is happening around you. And now to be able to like Obviously, Benny does not talk back to you. So shout out to Maddie, one of Benny's assistants. Shout out to Andrea Pasola, a former Bulls employee who who helped set it all up with us. Shout out to our former lead producer, Carrie Shepard, for enjoying that day with me. We were there for like six hours were together. were there all day. Yeah. We were there all day learning about what goes into making a Bulls game as big as it, big as it is. And it it... It warmed my heart in a way that um, you know, we it just not many things can. I just it was the coolest. It was the coolest moment to be standing out there with Benny. Uh and so yeah, between Benny, between roller skating with my mom, man, it just reminded me how many emotional episodes we did
1: this year. Did. We did a lot, yeah.
0: Like even if that wasn't their intent, they 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 were emotionally rich. Uh, you know, if not for y'all the listeners, definitely for me. And so I, I've always said that this podcast has felt as much of a as much joy goes into making it for other people and seeing how much other people love it and enjoy it and sharing it, it is, an, it is a personal joy to make this show every single day uh, with this team um, and, and with our supporters. And so I want to give a huge thank you to our executive producer, Simone Alisea.
1: Hey, thanks, Jacoby.
0: I want to give a thank you to all of you for listening. Remember, CityCast Chicago has launched our very first membership program, you know, and for, for as little as $8 a month, you can get ad-free listening, members-only updates, and you get the chance to say you are one of the founding members to support your favorite podcast and newsletter. You can learn more now at membership.citycast.fm. Again, that's membership.citycast.fm. As always, we appreciate you for listening and reading and, of course, becoming a member. We're going to be back bright and early tomorrow. We'll talk to you then. Peace.